today on Act News Daily. And so when you talk about some of the issues, it's it's interesting to see whether the Democrat Republican platforms were actually listening to what's really going on in rural America. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of the Agnews Daily Podcasts, sponsored today by Mystic Lubes. For a full look at their full range of top quality products, visit Mystic Lubes, that's M-Y-S-T-I-K lubes.com. Cassidy, this is your first NAFB convention. How's it going for you? How are you taking it all in? I'm having a blast. Haven't made it to trade talk yet, so I'll give you a better update after that. Okay. Well, we're excited to have you here. I think... If I had to summarize a lot of the themes that we're hearing about this year, definitely the two that have stood out to me have been, we haven't had any sessions on it, but I've seen a lot of booths here promoting carbon Mm -hmm. at the Trade Talk, which is basically kind of a reverse trade show. You know, when you go to events, they're trying to sell you products or services, farmers, but here they're trying to sell the media interviews, and a lot of interviews have been stationed or centered around carbon. But the other thing, the big other big theme I think I've seen a lot of is just continuing to discuss all of the different challenges that we saw here in 2022 from sourcing inputs to supply chain issues. So a lot of good conversations that are being had down here in Kansas City. Absolutely. And I know a lot of our sessions touched on increasing infrastructure and technology. So another exciting topic we're getting to cover about the future. Absolutely. But let's dive into some news here because as we continue to talk about those shifts in cost and input costs specifically, the USDA released some new numbers for 2022 that gave the average cost to produce crops here this year. They raised the corn crop cost, that's a little bit of a tongue twister, an average of 19% or more in 2022 compared to 2021, citing notably higher fertilizer, chemical, and fuel costs largely to blame. On Tuesday, they released their updated estimates, showing that it took an average of $882 per acre to raise corn and $598 per acre to raise soybeans. They said if you compare the spring of 21 to the spring of 22, nearly all fertilizer prices, potash, urea, and anhydrous, were roughly double what they were the previous spring. So definitely continuing to see the supply chain exacerbated there. And they're saying they're expecting that trend to largely continue into 2023, Cassidy. Well, Delaney, some other numbers that are trending upward is the beef cattle slaughter numbers. Heifer slaughter is up about 5% in 2022 compared to a year ago, and beef cow slaughter is approximately 13% higher. That's a combined number of about 765,000 more beef cows and heifers processed in the first 10 months of 2022 compared to the same period in 2021. Well, that's definitely going to be a topic we probably need to touch on while we're here this week. U.S. Meat Export Federation, I know, is here this week, and that would be a great topic to touch on with them, Cassidy. But big headlines this morning as we have official word that Russia and Ukraine have extended their grain exports deal, the, the grain corridor deal, I should say, really. But the deal was helped, was brokered and helped by the United Nations and Turkey specifically, which was set to expire on Saturday. Cassidy, we now know that for at least another 120 days, exports out of the Black Sea region are going to be protected by this deal. That certainly caused uh, commodity markets to react 
obviously to the downside a little bit here as we were anticipating. Perhaps we would not see that go through, but this is of course really good news, I think, for those folks that are producing grains and other commodities in Ukraine. I know we're going to be playing these comments maybe later this week, if not early next week, but we had a really good panel yesterday that I got the opportunity to moderate, which was with a Ukrainian farmer, Case Hoisinga, who we've had on the podcast, as well as an economics professor who fled Ukraine just a few months ago with her family and is now at K-State in their agricultural economics department. But they have some really insightful comments that I don't think we've heard elsewhere in a lot of news, Cassidy, talking about some of those implications from this deal that we now know is going to go through. Absolutely. And I do know that the economist we talked to did mention that she predicted that this deal would go through when we talked to her yesterday. So it is interesting to see her prediction come to fruition so soon. Some other news I have coming out of Russia is that Russia is currently trying to persuade Kazakhstan to reduce its rail transit feeds fees for agriculture goods as it tries to get its grain crop to eager buyers. We'll see if their pressure gets the result that they're trying to get from Kazakhstan. We know that Russia has a pretty good reputation of getting what they want. So That is true. That was also kind of a resounding theme from that Ukrainian panel. So... But while we switch tracks here, I want to talk carbon for a second. I'm sure this is going to be a question that pops up here in a couple of interviews that we'll gather in Kansas City that you'll be hearing over the next few weeks. But Summit Carbon has paid out more than $200 million to landowners in their anticipation of approving the pipeline. This is just one of three companies that has plans to build a carbon dioxide pipeline in Iowa that has paid, as I mentioned there, $200 million to build on their properties. And the company won't get that money back if the plan fails. So that is kind of a big gamble for them. But they said they're really trying to entice landowners and companies to help land easements for them so that their proposed route through Iowa, Nebraska, Minnesota, South Dakota, and North Dakota will hopefully have a little bit easier time getting that pipeline put in place. The plan is to install equipment at more than 30 ethanol facilities to carbon that car- capture that carbon dioxide and then pump it deep into the ground in North Dakota, Cassidy. But that's a big gamble, $200 million. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what we hear about that in these conversations that we get to share with our listeners later in the coming weeks. Now some headlines from Minnesota. Not too far from a lot of people that traveled here today are from Minnesota that I've talked to. And they had headlines coming out yesterday morning that the invasive emerald ash borer has now been found in another Minnesota county. It's been found in multiple counties throughout the year and they are now quarantining Asante County in hopes to keep it from spreading even more to the southern part of that county. Yeah, that's not a not not a pleasant one to deal with. We've had to deal that with that in Iowa a couple of years ago, the emerald ash borer killing a lot of ash trees. Well, it'll be interesting to see how much it continues to spread as it does say that Minnesota has been struggling with this since 2009. Yes, that does not surprise me one bit, Cassidy. But taking a look here at the headlines, I'm not seeing a ton of other additional big headlines for today other than as we continue to watch impact in Russia, Ukraine, and of course Poland. In the early hours of November 16th, an oil tanker was struck by an armed drone off the coast of Oman. 
Strikes like this are not likely to sink a ship, but one or a few hits um, definitely a sign that there might be some maritime shipping issues moving forward. So continuing to see Russia, as you mentioned earlier, Cassidy, put pressure on those that they want to do business with or do things for them to do business with, such as uh, lifting sanctions. Absolutely something to always watch, and I'm sure we'll hear even more about Russia-Ukraine as we get more interviews this week, because I know that lots of the companies here have comments to add about the situation there. Uh, Talking on another invasive species, the Asian longhorned tick, which was discovered in the U.S. in 2017, seems to be spreading theleria amongst cattle, which is in the same family as malaria. It causes disorientation and pretty much sudden death to these cattle that is not detectable before it's too late. So look, research are looking for how the Lyria will unfold in the United States and what they can do to help stop the spread. Cassie, you know what I was thinking as you were reading through that? I'm so glad that you volunteered to do all of the livestock interviews <laughs> while we're down here at Kansas City. <laughs> I am very excited to talk to some of our livestock people here and share those conversations with our listeners. Well, I'm going to be focused on trade and policy. Those are more my style, more my speed. Not that I don't know livestock, but I'm going to leave that to you. <laughs> and I'll happily leave the trade and crops to you. Perfect. Well, let's take a quick break here before we get into some more news from today's sponsor. Since 1922, Mystic Lubricants has been providing superior performance and protection for farmers who demand the most out of their equipment. Today, Mystic continues to develop products in real-world conditions that are specially formulated to meet the unique demands of your specialized machines. They provide advanced protection for engine longevity and are the choice of people who make a living working the land. Learn more about Mystic products at mysticlubes.com. That's M-Y-S-T-I-K lubes.com. Cassidy, as we continue here, I continue with some international trade and policy news. The G20 summit is wrapping up, and the U.S. and China seem to have paused the continuous escalation tensions between the two. We do have word now that Secretary of State Anthony Blinken is also reportedly set to travel to China in early 2023, which would be the highest level or highest ranking official that the U.S. has sent to China in years. But this, the U.S. was not the only adversary to meet with Chinese leader Xi Jinping. We also saw leaders of Australia, Canada, France, and Spain, as well as South Korea, reach out and had sit-down meetings with him as well. But lo- world's largest economies really also, all together, expressed their commitment to, quote, calibrate the pace of monetary policy tightening in a data-dependent and clearly communicated manner in order to limit spillover effects on middle-income countries as the global economy continues to face shaky footing and potentially a global recession. Well, Delaney, we have been watching the recession in the, or the coming predicted recession in the U.S., closely, so it is something else to watch closely, the global recession and how those meetings come to fruition. Um, Last piece of news I have today comes from the USDA. I feel like I report a lot lately on grants and funding they've announced, but another funding was announced on Tuesday morning of $24 investment to teach and train farmers and ranchers throughout the nation. So 
These, these funds are dedicated to helping them implement activities that foc focus on managing capital, acquiring and managing land, and learning effective business and farming practices. I know a big theme also here at NAFB has been trying to get more young people involved in the agriculture industry, and it looks like this funding will really help with that. Yeah, that's been a big initiative that the NAFB has put together, especially as we look to the future of we understand that the average age of farmers is increasingly becoming older, but also those people coming back to agriculture are increasingly becoming less and less. So certainly helpful there to see that the USDA is recognizing that. Cassidy, I think this is probably a comment or two we'll get from some folks on the floor today at Trade Talk, but the Clean Fuels America Alliance on Monday released a statement asking the USDA increase the advanced biofuels share of the fuel market by a billion gallons a year to reflect what they're saying is the land rush into renewable diesel production and products. Their recommendation would raise the federal mandate for second-generation biofuels to 7.63 billion gallons in 2024, which is a 36% increase from this year. They said they're seeing a lot of production of renewable diesel products come online, and the capacity is there, but they believe the EPA should also increase the biomass-based diesel volume by 500 gallons and the advanced biofuel by a billion gallons each for the next two years. The EPA has a November 30th deadline here to announce what the renewable fuel standard looks like for 2023. And so I think we're going to see, especially here today, or a couple weeks out from that deadline, I think we're going to hear some pretty vocal folks on where they think that that renewable fuel standard needs to be set for 2023 and beyond. That will be an interesting booth to stop by the Renewable Fuels Association to talk to them about that deadline and how they're preparing for it. But I don't have any more news before we hit the floor today. Delaney, are you ready to talk markets? I certainly am, but let's take one more quick break for today's message from our sponsor, Mystic Lubes. Since 1922, Mystic Lubricants has been providing superior performance and protection for farmers who demand the most out of their equipment. Today, Mystic continues to develop products in real-world conditions that are specially formulated to meet the unique demands of your specialized machines. They provide advanced protection for engine longevity and are the choice of people who make a living working the land. Learn more about Mystic products at mysticlubes.com. That's M-Y-S-T-I-K-lubes.com. Well, Cassidy, we're recording here about mid-morning, about 10 a.m. here on this Thursday afternoon, and markets are definitely trading lower here at the midday. December new crop corn is down about five and a half cents at 6.59 and three quarters. January soybeans down 14 cents on the morning so far, trading right at that 14.15 mark. Chicago, December wheat is down 19 cents on the day at 7.98, while hard red winter wheat is down 18 and three quarter cents at 9.36 and three quarters. As we take a look here to flip into the livestock markets here at the midday, we're certainly seeing some mixed trade here. December live cattle up 22 and a half cents at a buck 52. January feeders are up $1.82 at $179.30. And lean hogs are trading very mixed today as we're seeing weakness in the December lean hog contract down 47.5 cents on the morning at $85.10. However, you look out to some of the deferreds, February, April, they're trading positive on the morning. So we'll certainly want to get a take on that and what markets have been doing the last couple of days when we chat markets on Monday, Cassidy. But... 
Cassidy, we have had a lot of good conversations. We've listened to a lot of good conversations. Wednesday is really kind of a day where they have a lot of panelists that present on various topics. We're going to chat or listen in specifically here to a conversation about election results and the impact that these results will have on the farm bill, but also farm country in 2023 and beyond. I interned on Capitol Hill for Senator Grassley. I say that's where I kind of got the bug for policy, writing about legislation, and have been pretty much doing it ever since. I worked for Farm Progress for 19 years, which he said he would not hold against me. For me, it was my forever home. I never thought that I would leave. Um, And then one month ago tomorrow, I started with AgriPulse. And our tagline is balanced reporting, trusted insights. And let me tell you, when you write about the political world, That means a lot to me about having a balanced reporting and trusted insights. And so I'm really excited. This is my first public appearance with AgriPulse, but very excited to be able to be on a great team of very, very talented writers. And as you mentioned, I also serve as the Executive Secretary Treasurer of the North American Ag Journalist, so we together are also just solely devoted to to telling agriculture story for journalism And uh, it's really been a blessing to work in that organization as well. All right, so I'm going to start off a little bit before getting into the election results and talk a little bit about what rural voters care about. Uh, Right before the election, you know, there was a lot of talk about where and how and if if Democrats and Republicans even cared about the rural vote. When we talk about rural America, it's pretty much two to one Republican versus Democrat and how they vote, right? And so when you talk about some of the issues, it's, it's interesting to see whether the Democrat-Republican platforms were actually listening to what's really going on in rural America. So a couple weeks before the elections, uh, the Center for the Daily Yonder had a poll out, and we looked at what are some of their top issues. I don't think this is going to surprise you. The top issue is the rising cost of living at 45%. That's a pretty big number there. And the second one is dysfunction in the government. Can the government actually accomplish anything? Can they do what they need to do? So very high on those two things. And then another portion of their survey, you know, what matters to them? If they are Republicans, they pretty much said freedom and faith were their top two values. So we talked about the top issues, and then we talked about their top values. And Democrats selected equality and kindness and compassion as their top values. And then we also had both of them selected accountability and family as either their third or fourth important value. So again, going into the election, these are what's important to rural voters. Was that something that resonated with the candidates they they ended up voting for? So obviously, it's the economy, stupid, right? The the economy was a, a very big driver in this year's election. So what economic value or issues are most important to rural voters? Rising gas prices. I live in the middle of Ohio. I'm not very far from Columbus. I'm about 45 minutes north of Columbus. But I'm actually 20 minutes from the nearest grocery store in three different directions. Granted, I do have $5 generals within 
five minutes of me four different directions. I have lots of Dollar Generals, but a real grocery store. So rising gas prices, that is a huge issue, right? The cost of food. These are things that are impacting rural America differently, even more so than what you're seeing in your urban centers. And remember, too, this survey is of of rural voters, which predominantly consider themselves two-to-one Republicans. So when you ask this question, how well would you say the U.S. economy is working for your family, that's a really high percent. Seventy-three percent said not very well. A lot of concerns about what was going on in the economy. And as you look at the next in the next 12 months, do you think your personal financial situation will improve, get worse, or stay the same? Obviously, 51 percent, that's a high number that they think it's going to get worse. So that's kind of a little bit of the background of going into the elections, what we thought. And really, you know, these folks that did this survey, I talked with the gal who, who ran it. She said, we really don't have a lot of surveys on what is important to rural America. And in the last election cycle, there was a lot of attempts by the Democrats to build up and understand more what motivates rural voters. And we didn't really see that momentum go within these last hotel election cycles. And I don't necessarily know if how we ended up out of this election cycle that we gave any more desire or need for them to look at rural America. Should they, as we all living in rural America? Yes. But will they outside look in and see, oh, that's an important demographic area that we should focus on? Verdict's still out. All right. So where was the red wave, right? We were really all thinking we were going to have this huge red wave. So I wanted to take a little bit of a look back at some of the past ones. Why did we think there would be a a red wave? If you look at the 22 midterm elections since 1934, they average a loss of 28 seats, a loss of four Senate seats. They've gained seats in the House only three times. They've gained seats in the House six times and gained seats in Houses only twice. So this was the history that we were coming into. History was in Republicans' favor that there was going to be a red wave. Did that happen? No. And again, change was in the air, right? We really thought we were coming to this. It was going to be a fifth election in a row. I always talk about a pendulum swing, right? We went back this way. We go this way. We come back. And after elections, that's normally what you see. When you see the... President Biden's approval rating at 41.7% going into the elections, that does not bode well for him, or so we thought. During Obama's midterm elections in 2010, it was a huge red wave, right? Republicans flipped 63 House seats and six Senate seats that year. That was one of them. If you go back, that was one of the biggest Senate seat flips. It was a huge red wave. And I think everybody thought going into this, we could have the same repeat. Not what happened. We are one week out from the elections. We still do not have 218, the magic number in the House. Crazy, right? And Democrats have 209. Our our balance in the Senate is likely, we already know we've got 50 Republican, or I'm sorry, 50 Democrats the race in Georgia, which we thought actually would be more important by the fact that we have 50 going into that Georgia race, makes it a little less, but still very important. So everyone's asking, what does this mean for the 2023 Farm Bill? 
And uh, we, AgriPulse held a, a, a webinar short on Wednesday afternoon after the elections, and we had Michael Torrey, and, and he made this good point. You know, there's going to be a lot of blocking, tackling, and bringing a lot of new faces up to speed. But when new folks come to town, they always have new ideas. So we always have a certain degree of new members. But when you look at what's changed since just the 2018 Farm Bill, this is not even accounting for the current elections because we don't even know how many 435 members are new or not. Um, Since the 2018 Farm Bill, 150 new House members have not participated in a Farm Bill. That's a lot. That's over a third of the members of the House have never voted for a farm bill before. 27 out of the 50 House agriculture members have not been part of a farm bill. And seven on the Senate, the Ag Committee, are new to the committee out of the 15 new Ag Senators, total Senators. So... We've got an education issue. We've got to let everybody know how the process works, what's important. They've got lots of people whispering in their ears what they want, what they don't want. So we've got a a tall order ahead of us on education. And I should also say back to that, too, with fewer and fewer districts truly having an ag representation, it also requires a new level of education as well. So what to watch for in early 23 as we begin the farm bill work. House ag... Leader Republican Glenn G.T. Thompson, just yesterday on the sidelines of the House halls, he told Phil Brasher, you know, we're going to have an on-time farm bill. He said that to me at the Farm Progress Show. He said it several times this summer. He wants an on-time farm bill. But we also know he's been very critical of the House work on farm bill hearings. There has not been one bipartisan, out-in-the-field farm bill hearing for the House side. There's been two for the Senate. Both Stabenow and Bozeman have had one in their their districts. There's been a handful of farm bill hearings, but none that are bipartisan. Thompson is wanting to have maybe one as soon as the beginning of January in Pennsylvania to get that going, but he's been very critical that there's not been enough input received from the countryside on the Farm Bill. And also, too, there's been a handful of USDA oversight hearings on the House Ag Committee in D.C., but also much fewer than in previous Farm Bill's discussions. So AgriPulse held their webinar about the election results. I mentioned I am the Executive Secretary Treasurer of the North American Ag Journalist. We did a webinar shortly before theirs on Wednesday afternoon with Colin Peterson and Randy Russell to, to provide our members some insight on this. I moderated that panel. And, you know, House Ag Committee, gosh, I miss Colin doing farm bill work, and we're going to miss him this next time around. Because one thing about Colin is he knew the understand of compromise and crafting together what really needs to be done. And, you know, he really said, I guess I wish they would learn from the lessons of the past and just come together at the beginning, figure out what needs to be done, and everyone march forward in that. It's probably not the process we're going to see, but gosh, wouldn't it be great if we could just all listen to the words of wisdom of Colin Peterson. So what, what we could see, and I think, you know, it was interesting, if we would have had a 40-member swing on the House GOP side, we could have had a much different path forward on the Farm Bill than likely what we are going to have now, where we don't even have the magic 218 number yet. We're still waiting for that. And so in in past years where Republicans have pushed forward a a Republican-only bill out of the House, 
This is actually the narrow margins, again, may give us more of a chance of a pragmatic, better approach on the farm bill forward. Because there's so many fractions within the Republican Party, you can't lose anyone. And there's enough Republicans who don't want the farm bill or say this is too expensive that it could derail the whole process, I think. And so, you know, keeping those detractors from running it off the rails, I think, is going to be really challenging. You know, yesterday we had Kevin McCarthy, who did get the support for the, the leadership position, but it's not unanimous, right? And we've got reports that the Senate is wanting to maybe look to not have McConnell at the head of the Republican Party. So the Republicans have a little bit of a come to Jesus that they've got to do here on how they're going to get everybody together and how that path is going to go forward. You know, as I mentioned, Thompson wants a bill out of the House by July. So that's a really short time frame and a lot of work to do to get a bill out of the House by July. That's what he said. We'll take him at his word, and we'll see if that actually comes through. Well, Delaney, having so much fun here at NAFB and very excited to share all of our conversations and sessions with our listeners in the coming weeks. I am as well, Cassidy. We've got really a lot of good conversations coming. I hope we're asking the right questions that farmers and ranchers would ask if they were here in person, but we're excited to bring them our updates from NAFB 2022. Absolutely. But for now, should we let them go? Let's let them go. 